welcome everyone to our podcast and our very first episode ever of Now Next, Navigating Your Meaningful Now and Your Meaningful Next. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you all to our co-hosts. My name is Sammy DiBiasso. I am a second year Master of Divinity student at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University, and I am here with Mary Claire. Hello, my name is Mary Claire Kunkel. I am a senior undergraduate student at Capital University studying film and media production. And our other co-host is the pastor, Drew Tucker. I was gonna say reverend. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't call me reverend people, it's fine. <laughs> My name is Drew Tucker or Pastor Drew as most people know me here on campus. I'm the university pastor and director for the Center for Faith and Learning. And I'm so pumped to be here with Mary Claire and Sammy talking about vocation and particularly exploring your vocations. And so the question really is, how are we doing that? What's that looking like? And I think we're going to spend a whole lot of time today talking about just those things. Yes. So as far as now next as a whole goes, we are exploring what you're called to now and what you're called to next within the context of vocation, which we are defining as any meaningful life-giving work for the world. So our little tagline, our little thesis, if you will, if you're a fellow student, of navigating your meaningful now and meaningful next kind of melds those two things together. And our goal um, throughout these episodes is to empower you to explore your vacations to answer those questions. We're also going to be using a lot of navigation imagery, um, a lot of boats, so come along with us on this wonderful voyage. <laughs> We need people that know this imagery better than us, and that's exactly why the Parkers are here with us and to teach us, so thank you, thank you, thank you to them. But before we get there, I want to dive in and show you just a little bit of what this whole process looks like from our perspective. We've developed this thing called 4D Faith. Shockingly enough, it's all about four words that start with the letter D. We're not that original, but I need a simple way to approach life in order to find some relative success. So the four D's are discovery, discernment, development, and decisions. These are things that we have to do in some way to engage our vocations. We have to discover what options are available for us. We have to discern our values, how we value the options, our own personal values, our character, and how they relate to the things that we might do. We have to develop skills and habits, wisdom, beliefs, knowledge, in order to really figure out where we can serve best with our vocations. But at some point, we also have to make decisions. And so when we ask this idea of navigating your meaningful now and your meaningful next, what we're really asking is how can we discover and discern and develop and decide what it is God is up to now, what it is that is happening in our lives in this moment, in the meaningful now, and then what is it that God is using this moment to do in order to shape us for what's next? What is it through our discoveries and discernment and development and decision making that's shaping us into somebody that we will be, to vocations that we will have? This is a process that's not linear because if you make a discovery, you know what's probably gonna do? Lead to another decision. If you discern your values, 
it will probably also help you to discover your identity. If you develop certain skills, it might in fact force a kind of decision. And of course, decisions will then lead to new discoveries. So think of this rather than a linear process, kind of like a Venn diagram or like the Olympic rings where there is certainly some overlap as well as there is certainly some differentiation. That in this process, in the overlap and in the separateness, we are finding our possible vocations and then finding the ways to choosing the vocations that God has laid in front of us. We have two guests today in honor of our very special first episode, Mark and Christine Parker. Mark Parker is a proud Baltimore native who has served since 2009 as the mission developer and pastor of Breath of God Lutheran Church in the Highland Town community of Southeast Baltimore. He and Pastor Christine Myers Parker are raising their two children in that community and particularly appreciate the ways in which people of all kinds of cultures and backgrounds build community together in their shared neighborhood. Christine Parker is currently serving a call as pastor of Epiphany Lutheran Church in Baltimore, and she actually ventured out to the marina for our interview to really get in the spirit of the sea. So if you hear that ambient sound, it's the real deal. So we are here with the Parkers and they are familiar with boats and seafaring, whereas Drew, Sammy, and I are not. <laughs> I love the word familiar with boats or the phrase, right? Like, it feels like they go to dinner parties regularly with boats, not on boats, but with Just with them, the just with hanging boats. out. That's right. We spend time with them. <laughs> We see each other. So first things first, this idea of navigation is very much so present in our language surrounding the podcast. So what do we need to know about the act of navigating? There's multiple kinds of navigating depending on uh, what kind of sailing you're trying to do, right? What kind of journey you're on. I mean, they're really different from each other and they're, they're involving different skill sets and even different kinds of emotions or, or connections or attentiveness to uh, the world around you and your surroundings. Christine and I do a lot of sailing. Almost exclusively, all of my sailing has been on the Chesapeake Bay or on other kind of coastal bodies of water. And it's big, but you're always in sight of land. And so the navigating that you're doing there is being attentive to your instruments, compass, your GPS, your charts, and your eyes. And there's, there's skill involved, right, in being able to translate the information that you're seeing and be able to see the chart kind of laid out in front of you. Like the chart is this, this two-dimensional map and then the world around you is, is in three dimensions and, and perspective shifts. And so being able to not only read a chart, but translate the chart into the world that you're navigating and moving through requires a good amount of experience and also kind of training and skill. So most of our navigational experience is sailing, but recently we went canoeing and we had a major mess up, actually two major mess ups with our navigating, which are completely worth sharing, especially the first day where it did end up being good for us that we destroyed our navigational experiment that day. So Mark, can you tell about that? Navigating in different bodies of water is a really different thing. And navigating with different instruments is a really different thing. And navigating on like little small lakes in Minnesota is really different than on like a big Chesapeake Bay. It was a good reminder that, hey, there's a learning curve here and there's a comfort level and an awareness and in this case we're like well these lakes are really small so like it should be pretty easy just to pretty much eyeball this and kind of go from place to place christine mentioned the very first day the conditions were super windy and so as sailors we're like great winds um canoeing not 
very safe in the wind and the waves and very difficult and challenging. So what we wound up doing there on that first day was taking a path that we thought was the direction that we were trying to aim, but also it was the only safe direction we could go. And it wound up going to a portage that was closer and in a better direction and got us out of the dangerous situation faster. So there's that kind of navigating, which is great on small inland bodies of water. And then we're most used to sailing on Chesapeake Bay. And then there's blue water navigation or blue water sailing, which is out in the ocean, the sea, where you can't see land. And that's its own thing. And folks who are going to do that well are going to take significant courses and training and certifications from the Coast Guard to be able to do that effectively. And then there's entire other courses if you want to go not based on instruments, but I mean, you can still take courses and there's still a skill to do celestial navigation and learn to be deeply attentive to what the sky and the stars are telling you and be able to use that um, to guide you uh, at nighttime. What we've done is night sailing and night navigation using instruments, charts, and navigational buoys, which is still a completely different thing from navigating during the day and requires so much attentiveness to the smallest details. So, so navigating at night on Chesapeake Bay, uh, um, where normally you'd be able to see lands, there's an overload of information at night and it's hard to figure out what to do with it. And so you can sit there in the middle of Chesapeake Bay, even if you're not moving, and just kind of spin 360 degrees. And at any given time in the middle of the night, you're going to be able to see 10, 15, 20, 30 different navigational buoys. And the only way to distinguish between them is kind of two things at night, just two things. One is the color of their light. If you can tell the color of their light, because it's hard to tell color from a distance and the pattern of its flashing. And the, the last time I was navigating at night, I completely misdirected us because there were channel markers headed into, you know, a side river. And uh, we went to the wrong one because it had the same color and the same flashes. Anyway, you can easily uh, fall off course without quite realizing it until it's too late. Yeah, even if you have all your information correct, you have the color right and you have the pattern right. They also change every single year, right? So if you don't get updated charts, um, I mean, the Coast Guard removes navigation buoys that have been there for 20 years. All of a sudden you get there next summer and it's gone. They drop new ones down. People put up private ones just for the heck of it, just to confuse you that aren't going to show up on any chart anywhere. It's a lot. So with all of that overwhelming amount of information, how do you cope with trying to discern what is important and what isn't? You want to know in advance or at least in the moment you want to kind of been looking at your chart, say, these are the marks that I really care about. And I'm going to try to do my best to tune out everything else. But for however you figured it out, you know exactly where you are. Then you're going to say, here's where I want to go. And on your chart, you're going to draw a line from there to there. And then you're going to sail that course based on your compass. And along the way, I'm going to pick out a few landmarks or a few night lights that I'm gonna focus on and try to ignore everything else. Because otherwise you keep recomputing. Better to know where you were, where you're going, the path to get there, and then a few spots along the way just to check in. The other thing that complicates it is that we're a sailboat usually, and so we can't just follow a heading we have to go on a point of sail. If where we're trying to go is directly into the wind, then we have to find where our ley line is. So we tack back and forth to get to where we're going. Point of sail is um, where you are in relation to the wind. So if you see a sailboat with those pretty sails, those colorful sails, those are called spinnakers, and they capture the wind and you're going the same direction as the wind, so that is going either directly downwind or slightly off from the wind. And you can go only as far as 30 degrees to the wind before you have to switch to the other side of the wind. And so there's about, depending on the boat, there's about somewhere between 45 and 60 degrees, maybe even up to like 80 degrees 
that you can't sail because it's too close to the wind and your, your sails, no matter how you set your sails, you're just going to get beat up and pushed around and you won't be able to maintain that heading. And so if the place you're navigating to, as Christine said, is within that area of uh, directly up winds, then you're going to have to, as Christine said, take ley lines. So a ley line is the, the closest possible line you can take the closest angle you can take to your desired heading while still keeping your boat moving forward. And so what you're going to do is then is you're going to zig and zag. So that's the other aspect of navigating, right? Is that in sailboats, again, you can't, you can't just kind of point your boat one direction and say like, here we go. But you have to always be attentive to the winds and also the waves, right? I mean, I mentioned before that the waves really mess us up with canoeing because the, just the canoes aren't nearly seaworthy. But it's still true on a boat too, especially in storms and in, and in serious conditions or just in really heavy winds. On larger bodies of water, you're going to get significant wave action. And the waves may also influence your ability to go the direction that you want. Because if you're just getting the, the snot beat out of you by the wave action, you're going to have to make adjustments so that you're keeping your boat safe and you're just keeping the human beings not so rattled that they can function. You've mentioned a few times situations where you may have been misdirected or accidentally went the wrong way. And I'm curious, what do you all do in those moments? What is the process of trying to refine that course, both practically and intellectually, but also emotionally? I think the biggest challenge there, of course, at least in Chesapeake Bay where we sail, what are the risks involved in this? From like a safety standpoint or a practical standpoint, where we are, um, you're going to run aground. I mean, the reason you have all those marks out there is because it's not the ocean and it's not, you know, a mile of water underneath you or I don't know how deep the ocean is. The ocean seems pretty deep. But, so what's going to happen is you're going you're gonna to run into a sandbar or you're going to run into a big pile of rocks that's sitting there or you're going to run into uh, an island that you didn't really notice or you're going to run into the wreck of a bunch of ships the government sank or you're going to sail into a, a bombing range that the, that the fighter jets from Pax River Naval Air Station used for target practice and you're not supposed to be there either. We've never never done that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. Anyway, there's, there's a lot of consequences, some of them more humorous than others that can get to kind of the, your safety, your performance, your just your sense of well-being. I mean, I'll say this. I don't own this for myself, but I think it's also true of the people that I sail with. And Christine can verify this. When we don't know where we are or we're in the wrong place, especially at night, the disorientation eats into people and it messes with their psyche. And it means that we're not very resilient when it comes to like dealing with disappointment or confusion. And it means we're also all really tired because you're not supposed to be sailing at 3 a.m. or whatever time it is. I mean, you can, but it's not what our bodies are designed to do. And so tempers get short and then you start arguing with each other about where you are or where you ought to be. And then, you know, a light looms in the distance and you're like, is that a lighthouse? No, it's like a 250 foot long freighter that I have to get out of its way before it runs me over because it's rolling up Chesapeake Bay at 25 knots. And then people yell at each other and crew cohesion breaks down and people get snippy with each other. So Christine, we're, we're describing something in particular that happened that neither of us were on the boat for, but it, I mean, most of those people haven't sailed together since then. They used to race together every single week, every single week. And most of us are family. Most of us are family. And I think some of those people haven't been on a boat together since because it was such a disorienting, frustrating, painful experience to not know where you were and also to feel at risk and also to be short on temper, food, dehydration. I mean, very few of us have that sense of like spatial disorientation, I think, on a, on a daily basis when we're kind of going about our lives in familiar places and with all the signage and the, the paths and the roads. I mean, everything is kind of laid out for us. But, uh, but I think there, there's something to the disorientation of being in the dark at night on the water 
and kind of like how you process that. You mentioned the word crew and the teamwork involved in sailing. And I'm curious if you could speak a little bit more on that aspect of navigation and boats. So I am usually on foredeck, which manages the front of the boat and gets the sails up, gets the halyard, which is the line that pulls the sails up and also manages the spinnaker. There's the person who steers and there's the strategist who figures out what point of sail you should go on and what side of the course you should go on. And um, yeah, no, it's very comforting to know that you have to get your part down and you don't have to get anyone else's part down and that you can lean on one another for that. And you can switch roles as need be in certain situations. And I'd add to that and say it's too much for one person to do. I mean, some people do. I mean, you have people who sail around the world single-handed and solo and all the rest, which is brilliant and wonderful. I find that from just a practical standpoint, better to have one person who's actively steering the boat and paying attention to how the boat is sailing at that moment and the other person who's completely dedicated to the work of navigating and making sure that they are giving good direction and are in conversation with the person who's steering. As Christine said, those roles are flexible. It's not that one is more important or like one person is in charge, but kind of together you're trying to make sure that the boat is um, is aiming in the best direction and that you guys are doing it safely. So it is nice to have a captain who you know, is going to make sure that everyone is where they need to be and will make the final call. The captain hat isn't necessarily, and this is, I think, what is confusing maybe for folks who have kind of images of sailing rooted in like literature or in movies and things like that. The captain isn't always the person steering the ship, that the person in charge, the person running things and like processing information and giving direction and supporting other folks, maybe standing to the side, kind of doing all of that while you have a helms person at the helm steering the ship while you have a navigator doing the navigating. And the captain may take turns at all those things. So the skills are shared and the roles are shared even when you have that key leader um, who's helping to pull it all together. Similar to my co-host, I think I am learning a lot. I grew up in a, a Navy family and like this conversation is so different from like navigating um, naval ships, obviously. <laughs> And so but I'm wondering, like, as I'm hearing you both share about navigation and in the day versus the night and the different barriers that affect where you're going and how you get there, I'm wondering how your experience in boating then influences or impacts the way that you show up in the world. I think one of the things that's most important to both of us is a sense that when you're sailing, you are subject to the wind, which we have identified both in scripture and in our experience in nature uh, with the spirit. And so to kind of follow the guidance of the spirit, again, you can only sail certain points and you can't go on the direct path that you think you should be able to go, which you know is a valuable lesson for life that you can't always get where you're going right away. There are stops along the way and turns that you didn't anticipate. I mean, one of the great things about sailing is that it can be really beautifully and really necessarily humbling. And some of that humility comes, as Christine said, because you realize that you get to make your own decisions, but all those decisions are mediated by the changing conditions of the world around you. So you have lots of control and also so little control. Um, you get to make all your decisions, but all those decisions are, are taking place in a world that, that you have very little control of. One of the other things that's humbling about it is that uh, when you mess up and you will mess up, it's not hidden. You are literally in the wrong place or as is usually the case for me, I'm literally stuck in the mud. And I was feeling really good about myself. And I was feeling like I was sailing really fast and really well and like really pushing the edge of what the boat could do. And then all of a sudden I'm stuck and I'm not going anywhere. And the keel and the rudder are dug deep into a whole bunch of Chesapeake Bay, sand, mud, chemical, toxic waste. And it's gonna be a minute before I get out 
and I might not be able to get out on my own. I've been stuck places where I've been trained how to get out. I know the tricks and the tools and like what to do with my boat to try to get off from being stuck if, I'm, if I've run aground, but they don't always work. And so there have been times where I just had to sit there and wait for somebody to come by and notice that I was just completely done and lost and had no power whatsoever to fix the situation I was in. In one case, they had to come up and give advice and be like, you know what? I never learned how to do this. My boat is completely flipped upside down and I read in a book somewhere how to do it, but I don't remember what the book said. And I can't look at the book now because I'm in the middle of Baltimore Harbor and uh, it's getting darker and darker and darker. And I'm just sitting on top of an upside down boat. So please help me. And then the other was a situation where I got stuck in the mud and somebody had to pull, pull me off, right? Somebody in a powerboat had to come and I knew how to do it, but I couldn't do it on my own. I also say that one of the nice things about sailing the kind of sailboats we're on is that you can't flip the boat over, at least not easily. And so like you can feel in danger and you can certainly do damage, but it's nearly impossible to flip over. And so relating to life, like things can get really messed up, but we can always rely on, you know, getting through it on God's grace. We can always rely on the community of believers. Uh, there, there are constants, even though life can be very hectic uh, in the meantime. Yeah, I hear that super, super loudly, not only because we're in a space and time in the world where we're all trying to control everything and control pandemic. But I think also like we try to control navigating our vocation and our calls and discernment. And it's so hard to not want to have that control and being reminded that that's not a journey we have to do on our own. Um, yeah. So I, re I really appreciate that. You're, you're just learning us so much about this. But I also know that you are people that don't actually live on boats 24-7. You also have a number of other vocations. You, you lead churches. You have families. So would you tell us a little bit about the things that you do that are life-giving and meaningful for you outside of boats? Yeah, so we both have, uh, obviously, two children, one of whom is with me right now. He's joining us uh, sailing. I also happen to be sailing with my father and brother and a member of the church I serve. And so it's a family ordeal out here. So yeah, I mean, our family is obviously really important to us. And then we also work with youth, which is really life-giving for both of us. And we've both taken our youth sailing, which is also really cool, uh, give them a different experience. We both serve congregations in Baltimore City. And so then a lot of what's life-giving for us is serving and being active and building community and finding community here in Baltimore among diverse peoples working with partners in coalitions to try to address many of the deeply rooted challenges that we face here in the neighborhood where I serve. Certainly that has a lot to do with the experience of children and kids growing up in poverty, growing up surrounded by the wreckage of the war on drugs uh, that kind of is, is prevalent throughout a, a good chunk of Baltimore. And then also it's working with our immigrant community. So our neighborhoods are like 30 to 35% immigrants and refugees, mostly from Central America, the Caribbean, South America. And again, working with lots of kids and, and young adults here. So lots of people, if you will, I mean, back to vocation, I mean, lots of people who are in transitions and have made journeys much more substantial than any journey I've ever been on, especially those who have migrated here, either as immigrants or as refugees. And so getting a chance to kind of hear their stories and think with them about the ways that God is connected to what they've been through and where they're going um, and to be part of that journey. So it's, it's great to go out and take my own journeys and, and be with people sailing and exploring and adventuring and and navigating, but then it's a real privilege to be an embedded part of a community where other people come and stop and 
and maybe stay for a while or it's just part of their journey onto what comes next. So the whole point of Now Next within our navigation imagery is vocation. And we're asking this to all of our guests at the conclusion of the interview. And that is, what do you wish you do about vocation as a kid? I'm not saying I had a full understanding at all or that I even do now. I do feel like my pastors, mentors, youth leaders, confirmation program were pretty good about lifting up a holistic understanding of the ways that God calls us to do different things. I, I think that despite their best efforts to do that, I probably too closely associated vocation at the time as many young people will with like one singular occupation or career. And I don't think my church told me that. I know my campus ministry was excellent about it. My campus pastor drilled into us, your vocation right now is students, but it's also friend and sibling and child. And you will have many vocations. Like my campus pastor drilled it into our heads, which is great. But I think as a kid, I probably thought that, you know, what are you going to do when you grow up was like the driving vocation question when in fact, it's just one of many. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, so I don't think that I learned that very early on. I only really learned it in college, I think, that your job is not equal to your vocation and that you have many vocations. I appreciate that it takes the pressure off. I would love if I didn't have that pressure as a young person to figure out the one thing I was going to do. It would have freed me up to more fully live into the vocation I was in right then, which was playing and learning and growing and being in community and not just like focused about some distant job that would somehow make my life meaningful. And Mary Claire, I'll follow up on it too to tie into something Christine said before, just how dynamic vocation is. I mean, for me, that goes straight back to saying and straight about being responsive to the wind and the waves. It's about listening to and feeling. So like the other thing about wind is it's not simply a calling that drives you forward, but like call it wind awareness is like a skill you develop as a sailor that you know where the wind's coming from, uh, the speed it's coming from without looking at any device, just by like being deeply aware of your surroundings and of your interactions with the wind and also maybe how the wind's gonna change. You can see the wind move across the surface of the water by how the waves are moving, by how dark it is, by the, the ripples, by the white caps. The wind is visible even though you can't see it, right? And so I think the same thing is true with the spirit, that you develop over time, I think intentionally, and just in being in relationship with God, a deep attentiveness to the way that the spirit is, is blowing and moving, and not just in the big things, not just in the big transitions in life, but every day, right? The opportunities that are put before you, the, the relationships that come into being, the people you connect with and being like, all right, God, like, I don't know where this is going, but like, I, I see that you're doing something here. And so that vocation then is dynamic. It's being attentive to how the spirit is calling and moving and pushing. And also the way that the world around you is changing and your conditions, your contexts are changing. And that then vocation then is this, is this dynamic walk with or navigating with or maneuvering with, with, not, not against or, or but moving with the spirit. It's a relational dynamic. It's not one question that gets answered, but it's a, it's a dynamic relational thing that is kind of a constant shifting and responding through life. I'm just going to give thanks to the spirit because in, in a way that was certainly not scripted, you really kind of summed up the now next reality of the now next podcast, right? That vocation is not just something we're called to eventually one day, but it's something we're called to right now. And also God is moving us through now to who we will become as well. I am so grateful to Christine and Mark for joining us as we start this journey on the Now 
next podcast. When Mary Claire and I first began dreaming this up, exploring our meaningful now and meaningful next, what it is God is up to in our lives today and the kind of futures that God has in store for us, we were enamored with the overlap we saw between nautical journeys and vocational exploration. Whether we were enamored with the Samoan journeys across the Pacific, the Vikings across the North Atlantic, Zheng He's journeys from China and throughout the Pacific and Indian Oceans, there was something about this process of looking beyond what we know and yet living in the very present that was so fascinating. But we also knew how little we knew about things like charts and keels and points of sale. And so Mark and Christine giving us this gift of conversation is so helpful to orient us as we begin our journey together. But what struck me most about this conversation was the way that as they educated us on some basics of sailing and boat life, the connections to vocation became even more prominent. Attentiveness to the sky and stars, to the landmarks and buoys that can guide our journeys and help us find our way. The value of mentors who can guide us and help us interpret our environments. The realities of changing landscapes and how we must always be vigilant for where God is at right here and right now, even as we're pursuing something for what's next. The value of teamwork, of pursuing this goal together, of trusting that my purpose is my own, that yours is your own, and that together we participate in a mission that is bigger than ourselves. The risks that come with any journey, and especially this journey of pursuing something that is meaningful and life-giving. The disorientation that can come with stress, with changed landscapes with clouds that hide the lights that show us the way and the humility required to participate in this and really any journey. So throughout this podcast, we're going to be tying vocational journeys back to nautical exploration, not just because we're enamored with boats or because we're obsessed with pirates of the Caribbean, but because there's something about the human experience that draws us back to risk the waves to set off for different lands, to pursue uncharted courses. And in your pursuit of your vocations, of your meaningful life-giving work for the world, you will find yourself at times feeling off course without a chart, wondering what to do. But we hope you do. What I hope you do is look to your crew, to those who have committed to being a part of this journey with you for encouragement. And then look to the stars that light your way for guidance. Because even if you feel lost on this journey to a meaningful life-giving work, you're never alone. God's put the stars in place to guide you into holy purpose. And God's placed people in your life to cheer you along the way. So as we continue in these next weeks, learning a few things about sailing, about charting, about the nautical life, we're also going to be talking with people who know something about vocation, whose journeys themselves become stars, become maps become compasses to help us find our way to. So join us in this journey of the Now Next podcast, finding our meaningful now and meaningful next. We really look forward to finding out what God's up to. Now Next is brought to you by the Center for Faith and Learning at Capital University. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, this episode was recorded remotely over Zoom. Funding for Now Next is thanks to the generous Philip N. Knudsen Endowment and Lutheran Campus Ministry. Our co-hosts are Drew Tucker, Mary Claire Hunkel, and Sammy DiBiasto. Our podcast producer is yours truly, and our seaworthy theme music, Fiddle DD, is by Shane Ivers.